Look in your home. Look in your office. Look in your home office. Everywhere you turn, there's so much smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart too. Our game-changing FlexPath format puts you in control of your master's degree, so you can learn how, when, and where you want. Smart, huh? Yeah, we think so too. So if you want to take the next step in your career, make Capella your first step. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Pitch the Podium. This is myself, Samuel Arora, here. And a very warm welcome to all of our viewers on the Inside Line Formula 1 podcast, too. What a weekend. What a fantastic British GP weekend this was. And firstly, Kunal, we got our predictions right. We said in our Pitch the Podium uh, pre-race show for the Simpson GP that George Russell would get a good lap. He would get a good race. And he raced beat well for him. Absolutely. I think his lap was brilliant in qualifying and that's one extra reason for me to tune into qualifying. But we had one more prediction, right? We said Lewis, ha- Lewis Hamilton uh-huh. will be absolutely dominant. And, you know, he was dominant on three as well as on four wheels when it came to his home race. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Mercedes proving yet again that they're so dominant that they can not only win on four wheels, but this time also on three. But so, so much happening in the British GP Canal. So much to watch out for. But before we get to all of that, folks, if you're just tuning in on YouTube, please don't forget to watch our Working in F1 playlist as well because we've got quite a few top analysts in the world of Formula 1. We've got Mark Sutton, a legendary photographer. We have got William Budizzi, the head of communications for Alfa Romeo Formula 1. And we've got Michael Italiano, who is the fitness trainer of Daniel Ricciardo. That aside, we've got Alex Lim, the Mahindra Racing Formula E driver, on the show as well. So there's quite a bit going on at Pitts the Podium. But let's get down to the British GP Canal. How, first half, a bit of a snooze-a-thon. But in the end, the Lewis Hamilton did, what, a Lightning McQueen pretty much. Is that your Pitts <laughs> the Podium moment, the whole tyres blowing out kind of thing? Absolutely. I think for Lewis, it was a Pitts to Podium moment. For Pirelli, it was... You know, the other way around. It was a podium podium moment. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I I would say it was like the first 13 laps of the British Grand Prix and maybe the last eight or nine odd laps of the British Grand Prix (laughs) when things suddenly went uh, alive. You know, in the middle, everyone was just waiting for things to happen. And, you know, the typical metrics that we discussed in our pre-race video, how far ahead will, you know, Mercedes finish of of their rivals how far behind Ferrari will be and so on. And, you know, we were calculating those metrics till, of course, you know, Valtteri Bottas was the first victim of those tyre blowouts that we saw, followed by Carlos Sainz uh, Jr. and then uh, Lewis Hamilton as well. Yeah, exactly. Quite a lot of drama happening at Silverstone. Again, shades of 2013. We'll speak about Mercedes' dominance only briefly because there's not much to speak about. But we'll talk about that (laughs) later on. But the tyres could help. We, lots of people came on social media saying, oh, look at that, that's 2013 all over again. Because we saw that here, the Pirelli compounds back in 2013, they used to have a very big drop-off. Now, all of a sudden, everything's going fine. Snap, the next lap, you know, the tyres are completely gone. Was it the same issue this time out in Silverstone? Because from the looks of things, there were blisters early on as well. But there seemed to be something slightly different than the problem was this time. You know, frankly, I'm waiting for an official Pirelli statement, which I'm sure they'll make 
you know, after they investigate what the problems were. Uh, but it seemed a little too obvious that it was the front left that sort of was the tire of choice on all the three tires that we saw blow up. You know, we, we heard that Max Verstappen's front left also had, you know, cuts, uh, you know, at, at just when he pitted the, you know, couple of laps to the end. And it just is because of the nature of the Silverstone circuit, given the load factors that come into play. And, you know, we talk of G-forces when it comes to the drivers. But let's remember, it's the tires that go through a lot of longitudinal as well as latitudinal, yeah. you know, G-forces and probably them being uh, the highest at Silverstone, especially through the, you know, high-speed sections that we all enjoy watching the drivers drive through. So, you know, uh, in, in all honesty, it was just that. But the one question I, I've, I've been wanting to, you know, ask uh, Mario Isola at some point, you know, I hope I get the chance to do that is... It's okay to say that, you know, after a certain number of laps, the tire goes over the cliff. And, you know, by, by saying going over the cliff, it would mean that you don't have enough grip or as much grip. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that it just gives away like that and it explodes and it suddenly causes, you know, a driver to have just three functional wheels. No, it was, it was a bit of a problem. Again, we, we had this in the early 2010s when, when Pirelli came in. I think the 2010 Canadian GP was a very good... A very good standpoint for Formula 1 to tell Pirelli, okay, this is what we want. We want us to work properly, but then at one fine moment, it just goes off. It, we, we all know how that went off and Pirelli went to making more durable tyres. But that's been happening, Kunal. Tyres have, have been quite an issue for Formula 1 as well as Formula 2 as well. Because if we just go back to the Hungarian GP weekend, the, the sprint race, the Formula 2 drivers had to pit in the sprint race. Again, completely <laughs> different tyres, different compounds, I agree. But that's something very bizarre that's going on. But th- that aside, really, of course, it's, it's a bit of a thankless job, this one. You, you end up making perfect hours all along and then a weekend like this comes up and people just tarnish your reputation. But yeah, I think, so I think a couple of mistakes here and there. We, we can't tolerate that, can't we? Yeah, we can. And, you know, you know uh, I've had the privilege of having interviewed Mario Isola several times. And he's made it very clear to me that Pirelli are just delivering to the brief that Formula One and the teams have given them time and again. And like you pointed out, you know, back in 2010, the the, the brief said we want high degradable tires, right? And high, highly degradable, degradable tires. Wow, I don't know. Maybe it's just the time <laughs> of the day. But now the brief is, you know, sort of changed to they want the tires to be more durable and so on. So this was a one-off. And, you know, I don't think we should, you know, pull the daggers out on Pirelli already. But my mind already shifts to what's going to happen seven days hence. Because, you know, for the second race in Silverstone, which of course is, is, you know, next Sunday, uh, the tires being used are one step softer by Pirelli. So while it does that mean that teams will naturally move to a two-stopper, the question then will also still run on how reliable will the tires be even next Sunday. And, you know, as long as it's all safe, it's, it's fine. Because, you know, Lewis Hamilton pointed out post-race that he was lucky his tire blew up while he was, yeah. uh, you know, while he was on the straights. He said if it happened through one of the high-speed corners, he would have just had a massive shunt. Uh, you know, let alone, uh, you know, finishing the race first, he would have probably, you know, uh, you know, been in the barriers. So all in all, I'm sure Pirelli are going to investigate and they will come back with solutions for the upcoming British country. Absolutely. Just ask Danny Kefir about what happens when a tire blows out on a corner. But <laughs> Pirelli, of course, doing a good job over all these years. Again, they'll come down to the bottom of what really happened. But Lewis Hamilton, what a man. Uh, there's, 
you say what you want. You say what you want about the fact that he goes on to record music videos with superstars. He goes to party whenever he wants to, wears what he wants, does what he wants in the end. But on the track, you just cannot question the way the man performs. Again, we, we, we had this discussion pre-race that Lewis Hamilton will go all out at Silverstone. It's a track he admires and we've seen time and again that he's just a master of the circuit. Got pole position and literally in the race, we, I, I was thinking, I was sitting down in the mid part of the race and I just thought, okay, what now for Valtteri? Because he's, he's all the way back now. It, it, it seemed like they were maintaining their social distancing. And even when Valtteri's <laughs> tire blew out, the one, the one thought that came to my mind is, oh boy, that's championship done. Because when you're up against a man like Lewis Hamilton, you're not going to get any margins at all. You make one mistake. Just ask Nico Rosberg about that. Even if you have the most perfect of seasons and you have one DNF, a one out of points finish, this man will pounce. And so he did today. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Lewis was dominant right from the word go in qualifying. He pulled out three tenths on, you know, uh, Valtteri, which is pretty big a margin, you know, given that under, you know, dry conditions, the two of them have been equally matched. But I also get this feeling that Valtteri is probably trying a little too hard to sort of, uh, you know, uh, bridge the gap to Lewis. And maybe that's causing Lewis some troubles. Like we saw, you know, a rare spin from Lewis in qualifying uh, yesterday. But I think it's causing Valtteri more troubles, you know, in the end. Because we saw how in Hungary there was a bot start. And then yesterday he just couldn't better Lewis's time through, uh, you know, the second run in in, uh, Q3 and so on. But... You know, like you said, 30 points, massive gap, uh, you know, numerically as well as psychologically. And this just means that the only way for Valtteri to bridge this gap is if Lewis has a DNF at some point of time in the season, right? Of course, unfortunate way of settling a world championship, but I'm sure Valtteri will take whatever comes his way. Because today he was, uh, you know, very unlucky. It could have very well been that Lewis was the first driver who would have been impacted and then, you know, he would have yeah. lost the lead and Mercedes would have pitted him, you know, Valtteri for fresh tires and the likes. Of course, could have, would have, should have, you know, and so <laughs> yeah. on. But, uh, you know, it just goes to show all in all that Lewis Hamilton has very good champion's luck, right? And to, to, to keep doing what he's doing, he's also being aided by some, you know, world champion's luck, unbeatable luck, I would say. Well, they say the people who are successful, they make their own luck in the end. And say what you want about what happened in the straights. Hamilton was in the right position at the right time. It all played out into his hands in the end. Again, this just reminds me of a situation of Nigel Mansell and Ricardo Patrese. Because Nigel Mansell in 1992, dominant, supreme with that Williams. But because you've got such a dominant teammate, you never really realize how good a Ricardo Patrese is. So you never really realize how good a Valtteri Bottas is. Again, Lewis Hamilton is a once-in-a-generation talent, perhaps even more than that. Being three-tenths close to him, or let's say in Hungary and qualifying, only one-tenth behind him, Bottas is good. But that's Hamilton. That's, that's on a different vertical altogether. But let's come back to another generational talent, Verstappen. Now, a lot of people on the internet have had this sort of debate all the way through. Be, be it on Twitter, be it on your WhatsApp groups, be it Facebook, everywhere. Should Red Bull have actually pitted Verstappen? Now, Kunal, what's your take on this one? You know, Red Bull have gone out of their way to publicly explain why they pitted Max Verstappen, you know, a couple of laps to the end. Uh, You know, frankly, I would go with the team statement, which is that they saw blisters on his tires and they thought it would be best to pit, uh, you know, Max for safety as well as to safeguard, 
you know, the third, third position as well as then, of course, try for the extra point yeah. for the fastest lap of the race. So, you know, one point of uh, one side of Red Bull would say, yes, we did the right thing. And, you know, we were a little cautious, especially after seeing what happened to, you know, three other drivers running in the top five. So, you know, it, it seems fair that they did that. But at some point, deep down inside, somewhere, you know, one percentage, they must be just like, oh, my God, what if we would have just waited to see what yeah. would have happened? Because they, they of course, preempted this. And, you know, like Bota said that, uh, and Lewis Hamilton, that everything was fine. And suddenly there was an issue with their left front. So, in all, it's what's done is done, you know. Despite, uh, you know, Mercedes hitting their worst luck in 2020, you know, they still managed to win a race and not give up a race win to Red Bull Racing. And, you know, something very simple but very interesting. Out of all the 20 drivers, Lewis Hamilton is the only driver to have scored points in all all four races this season. Absolutely. And he's the first person since Lightning McQueen to win a race on three wheels. <laughs> fun, fun factor aside, but uh, actually in terms of Red Bull, it's, it's an interesting point, you see. Uh, because I saw Lucas Degrassi writing a tweet. Lucas Degrassi, of course, Formula E champion, was racing in F1. But people often forget how good drivers are because of their performances in F1. But Degrassi, very well-respected figure in motorsport. He said, it's... It's sad to see people going defensive and giving up before the race ends. But I, I kind of disagree, to be honest, because Formula One, such a high margin sport, you know, there's such a low margin sport, by I beg your pardon. You never know what's going to happen. And even if you have the chance, as you rightly mentioned, it's a three dimensional thing. You can save your tires, you can go for the fastest lap and shield yourself for P3. I, I'm afraid I don't think I would do something else apart from that as well, because Lewis's tire broke off after Verstappen came in. So from the heat of the moment, you can't blame Red Bull for that because they did, they made the right decision based on the data they had at that point of time. Call it giving up, call it whatever you want. I think that's the most pragmatic decision. And when you've got millions and millions of dollars involved for every single Formula One point, I think Red Bull made the right choice that they could with the data in hand. So there's not much that you can say to them. But again, it's always that bit of what could have been. And that, that, that always happens in my life. Yeah. race. With your cooking as well, for that matter. Oh. <laughs> but you know, I, I I have a belief that I go by, you know, and it works in life, not just in motorsport. But I'll I'll give it a motorsport twist. It's like retrospect can always win you a world championship. Okay, very and, true. And very like true. you said, given the data they had, given the decisions that they had to make, Red Bull decided to pit. That's it. That's what happened. And that's what brought Max Verstappen, uh, you know, clean home in second place. And it's time to stop questioning that decision because there's no way we can undo it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, th- that's, that's quite a major factor for Red Bull. But they've, they've got P2, which is quite a decent place to be in, in the end. Torrid weekend for Alex Albon, though. We've, we've had a chat about what the championship implications could be for Bottas. I think it's, it's about time we move down towards Formula 1.5. That's, that's the term we're using here. It's the podium quite often. A bit, a bit of a bad one for him in the end because Alex Albon, it's, it's, all, it's all coming down on him, isn't he? It's, he's literally become our scapegoat and piss support him. And I don't like to do this because Alex Albon is one driver that I love personally. I, I just wrote an article the other week as well speaking about why I feel it's different to Gasly. It's, it's purely down to his intent. Come what may, whatever position he is in, you can see that sort of intent that you didn't see in Pierre Gasly. And that's what keeps me binded onto him. But 
again, not working out for Alex. Qualifying, disastrous race, just as disastrous in the end. So, where is it going for Alex? And wh- whose fault do you think it was in the end? Was it was it Magnussen going a bit too loose, or was it Albon being a bit too ambitious? You know, uh, honestly, I, I I wouldn't put a blame on either driver. Okay, I just know for a fact that I wasn't in favor of the penalty that came Albon's way. Because, you know, Kevin Magnussen made a mistake in the corner before and any driver worth his or her salt would have, you know, sensed a chance to go in. And then, you know, given the place Alex was in, uh, when he saw Kevin, you know, sort of close the door, there was nothing he could have done out there. So the question that we are then asking is, should we penalize Alex for, you know, putting half a foot inside a door that, you know, had a few inches open? I think that's a little unfair. You know, maybe we are just going into what, you know, we've now been calling consequence-based, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, penalties in Formula 1. Like, maybe if Kevin Magnussen would have just had a bit of a twitch and, you know, not uh, spun and, you know, gone out of the race, maybe they wouldn't have penalized Alex Albin. But, you know, again, it's a decision that's done. We've seen that, you know, the FIA stewards have an extremely challenging job to keep getting these decisions right and keep getting them fair, I would say, right? But, you know, I'm going to go back to the original question you asked, which is about Alex Albin and what's actually happening with him. And, you know, of course, it is the pressure of uh, needing to perform as close to Max Verstappen as possible. Uh, It is uh, known that there is always this axe that could fall on the second driver at Red Bull. So he's, you know, he's only adding to Red Bull's uh, second driver problem. But uh, he did have some technical issues. He lost out on time in, you know, the free practice sessions as well. So in all, all we can do is just uh, get back behind Albin, uh, you know, support him in trying to get as close to Max Verstappen as possible. Because uh, he is he's a phenomenal talent, young driver. It would be unfortunate to see him, you know, drop out of Formula One yeah. at some point if that were to happen. And, you know, like you said about Valtteri Bottas, just getting a tenth away from Lewis Hamilton itself is is commendable. And, you know, if Albin is able to do that, I'm sure it's commendable for him as well, just given how bloody good Max Verstappen is. Literally every single day he gets into a car. Yeah, but, but again, racing driver philosophy, though, you can't, you can't agree to the fact that the other driver is better. Classic racing driver. They'll come up with an excuse or whatever it may be. But it's the basic rule. You can't agree, at least in public, that the other driver is better than you. But uh, I've got a question for you, Kunal. We, we can actually, before we go down to speaking more about the midfield, let's, let's actually go down deeper, it's just for a bit, about this Red Bull thing. Do you think Red Bull is too aligned towards Verstappen? Now, again, resources being shared, I have no doubt. It's not like the whole Weber-Vettel scenario. And they're completely aligned towards Vettel. But just the atmosphere, just the presence of a maverick like Max Verstappen, or let's say, if it's Ferrari, say someone like a Fernando Alonso back in the day, or Michael Schumacher. When you have an ace in the team, even though there may not be any objective bias towards them, you think the team just leans towards the other driver and that psychological effect has an impact on the second one? Say, be it on your master or Rubens Barrichello or Pierre Gasly or sadly now on Alex Albon. You know, I'm pretty positive it is, it is the case because Red Bull is, of course, run by humans and we are all fairly subjective about our likes and dislikes and preferences and biases. So, you know, it would be only human to say that it happens because, you know, each time they look at, okay, who can match Lewis Hamilton? And at this moment, the only driver who can do that in our team is Max Verstappen. Okay, let's give him whatever it takes so that he's able to go charge at Lewis Hamilton. So that sort of happens. And then, 
you know, the, the opposite effect is, of course, then felt on the driver who, you know, feels a little left out, who's not given all that, uh, you know, and I wouldn't say not given all that attention and encouragement and likes. I'm sure there is a whole structure that looks after Alex as well. But psychologically, you do end up feeling like the sort of ignored child in the family. Okay. And yeah. that's, that's what eventually happens. And it's not just for Albin. I mean, I'm going to go back to, you know, even, uh, you know, for, for example, Valtteri Bottas, you know. And uh, since I'm on Valtteri Bottas, just two things that I found extremely surprising about Bottas uh, today, which is probably down to his personality, is, yeah. you know, when he made, he made a better start than Lewis Hamilton but he still lifted off far more than, you know, he should have, uh, you know, through the turn one. He, he should have held more against Lewis. Lewis probably knew that Valtteri's too gentlemanly to, you know, you know, sort of muscle more space out of him, like probably say yeah. Nico Rosberg used to do. And then, you know, at the two safety car restarts, you know, usually we are used to seeing drivers bunch trying to attack each other and so on. But Botas was happy to stay back and be like, okay, Lewis can be a couple of car lengths ahead and, you know, sort of just let him run through with the race. So, again, uh, just talking of different ways of how, you know, these psych- psychologies also affect drivers when they end up racing. Yeah. Actually, uh, we're going slightly off topic, but I think it's, it's quite a fun thing to discuss. How do you do it then? Because when when the pendulum is swinging away from your favor, and that's one thing that Ross Brown has spoke about quite a bit in depth in his book called Total Competition, super one in the end. How do you ensure, and he said that's a crucial thing, you have to make sure that your second driver, or at least that's, that's what they call the second driver, because apparently Ross Brown says we have no second driver until the second part of the championship, but, but we know, we, we know how that goes about. He said a crucial aspect of that is to make sure that everyone is committed and on the same page. Now, we're all human beings. We all, we all understand. We can all see if you're Alex Albon. You can see that this is Max Verstappen's team. If you're Felipe Massa, you can see this is Fernando Alonso's team. If you're, if you're a Rubens Barrichello, you can see this is Michael Schumacher's team. How do you stay committed onto a project like that? And as a manager, how do you manage that? Because is it more of a disruptive force than a positive one? Because we know, we know the positive effects of having a Michael Schumacher or a Max Verstappen in the car. But there are quite a few negative ones as well. I mean, you know, these are all human emotions that you're talking about. For a number two driver, the only way to try and prove some bit of supremacy is be as close to the number one driver to show the team I am as capable and then rely on that one odd spike in performance where you suddenly pull out a surprise pole where, you know, you sort of, sort of forcing the team to sit back and take notice at your pace advantage that you can pull out at times. And I think the third, of course, important thing is consistency. You know, one of the things we've seen is Lewis on his worst day will still finish third, right? Absolutely. And, and that's, that's something that, you know, all second drivers also probably need to think of that. Okay, on my worst day, how many, how many points do I lose less than, say, the number one driver, right? So it's a mix of all these things. But eventually, you know, like, like I said, it's humans running the teams, humans running the sport. And, you know, we'll always sort of let our biases get into the way. But, you know, we've seen uh, what Ferrari did, you know, after a point in 1999, they decided even though Michael's the number one driver, Eddie Irvine has the chance of winning the world title. So we will put all the might behind Eddie as we can, you know. So different uh, times that, you know, you end up backing the different horses. 
but I think primarily it'll always be the the alpha horses that you know all teams will end up you know uh, putting their money on. Absolutely right. That's all the that's all the number one, number two driver stuff done. That's all the heavy stuff done. Let's get back to something lighter. Let's get back to something that we can all make a joke of and laugh about. Ferrari <laughs> again, disastrous weekend. Thankfully, the club gets a podium. But Sebastian Vettel could Let's actually this was the start of our gateway towards the midfield. We can quickly speak about this for five or seven odd minutes that we've got left. But yet another yet another tough one. We saw last year uh, Vettel punted Leclerc. Let's not get down to whose fault that was in the end. But just that challenge of a weekend for him. If I'm not mistaken, Vettel was in B10, right? If, if That's correct. Yes. I guess I guess he was. Yeah. He was P10. He was P11. You know, had uh, had uh, Botas and Carlos Sainz finished in the points, he would have finished out outside of the points. You know, in all yeah. probability. So, an unfortunate weekend for Vettel. Maybe you know he is, of course, not feeling as emotional about his drive at Ferrari anymore. You know, maybe Ferrari are also sort of putting all their energies behind getting Charles to get where he's getting, because despite all the inefficiencies of their design, which they have you know publicly acknowledged. Look at Charles Leclerc. It's his second podium in what has already been announced as Ferrari's worst year that one can remember. You're right. And, you know, we talk of having this ability to uh, score more points than the car or the package is able to deserve. And, you know, we've, we've had, you know, for example, the minute we think of a, you know, we ask people to think of a driver who's delivered more than a package uh, could have probably, you know, made, make him deliver. We think of someone like, say, a Fernando Alonso, you know, but Charles has been doing that as well. He's been up there. He's, he's trying different things. He scored two podiums in the first four races, something that Ferrari would have probably never imagined being like the fourth or the fifth fastest team. Absolutely. So, you know, in all, not as bad given that, you know, they, they, they got a podium. But let's remember, they still finished about 20 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton, yeah. who finished with, as we now know, you know, three wheels uh, <laughs> on his wagon. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Oh, that's, that's, that's something so sad to see Ferrari begin. But... Speaking of fast teams, Kunal, yeah, I think this is one topic that you will not like so much today because your, your whole team, uh, Racing Point, which was Force India back in the day when you used to work there, I think the only way to put it, although it may be free of any euphemism of any sorts, torrid weekend for them. Uh, firstly, not having Sergio Perez, that's a huge blow. Somehow get an equal in, that must be a very costly thing to fly someone down and getting all of the formalities done and then realizing that he can't race because the engine didn't start. Okay, fair enough. You have your, you have your home spin down a large toll. Nice and, nice and quick Canadian driver on the race day, but he wasn't quick today as well. I think had it not been for the dramas on the final couple of laps, large toll would have been even further back. And on the other side, you come to think of it, that Renault, their, their primary competitors, are the people who are irritated with them the most, finished fourth. Daniel Ricciardo coming home with P4. Fantastic result from him. So, what just happened? What happened with Racing Point today? Because this is a home circuit. You normally expect them to be super fast. And if I, if just if I add a bit of humor in there, last year Mercedes was super quick over here. So there's no reason why they shouldn't be quick here too. <laughs> you know, if I may add a bit of humor as well, I think Lance Stroll was pressing his drinks button instead of pressing sure. the energy button, which is why his engineer was telling him, just press the drinks, you know, just press the energy button. You have lots of energy you can use. 
but yeah. you know on a, on a more serious note um, you know i'm sure they're kicking themselves we said this in the pre race video as well they would have hoped for a podium by now you know again today showed that a podium would have been possible you know if they if they were uh, up there just the way the second fastest team you know would have or should have been there but uh, you know probably missing sergio perez yes uh, unfortunate that he uh, you know he tested positive uh, for covid-19 and they did really well to get nico hulkenberg in but even worse that they couldn't just even get his car started you know but mm. also i think we we saw uh, one of those races where lance stroll was just a little off color and uh, mm. uh, you know come to think of it despite all the stresses around their design philosophy they are behind ferrari and behind mclaren in the yeah. constructors championship so all in all not a great weekend and they're they still are you know they're still to score the number of points that one would have thought they would score given the advantage of their package that's actually quite a good point you know we we've always banked our expectations based on qualifying because that's that's when you develop all your expectations right at the end of saturday when you look at the qualifying going you say oh look that guy george russell p12 he's going to be the man who's going to get a good result often doesn't happen I've seen Racing Point get some big bumper qualifying results, but not so much in the race. But it's actually moved on to Renault because these are the guys who have just filled up the vacuum of Racing Point this weekend. Fantastic P4 from Daniel Ricciardo that we mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, and Esteban Ocon getting his elbows out today and finishing at P6. So the Frenchmen are the French team are having quite a good day. And again, as usual, they fulfil the formality. They have filed a protest as well. <laughs> I I think it was it was fantastic to see the the yellow taxis do well you know Esteban Ocon probably took 45 <laughs> <yellow> taxis <laughs> <laughs> you know Ocon took oh, 45 wow. laps to overtake uh, Lance Stroll but I'm glad he you know overtook Lance when he did uh, Daniel Ricardo of course moving I think three positions in the last four laps he overtook Lando Norris and then benefited from the retirements of Bottas and uh, Carlos Sainz Jr and the like so all in all great for them to pick up uh, a good chunk of points uh, you know they're still pretty low in the constructors championship but uh, hopefully this result will sort of give them a boost uh, you know as as well as you know now i think it's wednesday before the next race when the yeah. protest uh, verdict is expected so let's see what happens on on that front as well but all in all i think a good weekend for renault a fantastic weekend for mclaren as well home race for them yeah. you know carlos signs uh, driving a phenomenal race he should have been p4 but you know they were of course unfortunate to to have uh, had the left front tire issue like valtteri and lewis as well it's it's fantastic carlos signs just almost always is there i mean he's, he's not he's not had the superstar performances that lando norris has had this year but he's he's not really put many foot wrong i mean he's just i mean if he's off color as you mentioned gunal but when a world champion is off color you often see them in p3 p4 when carlos sainz is off color is is often in what p8 p9 which for the midfield is quite a good place for him to be in true so it's it's only strange to consider that he's going to an even slower team next year but then that 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 all aside <laughs> later on but but quite a good point coming in uh, we we're just about to wrap up our video we have a few really good star performers for today special props to pierre gasly what absolutely fantastic drive uh, He's been running short of confidence. We can see ever since he's got demoted out of Red Bull, that podium place in Brazil was a confidence restorer. But this year, it's been it's been a bit of a bit of a dicey one for 
Al-Fatari. But that, that, that result for him, P7, will certainly get, get the team going back. Absolutely. I think uh, he's, you know, sort of making a case for uh, considering Red Bull to promote him one more time, you know, if the whole Albin situation continues. But, you know, we said this before and I'm going to say it again, Red Bull Racing do have a driver problem. They, 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 they need, yeah. they're, they're looking for three good drivers. Well, at the moment, they've got the best driver in Formula One, but they still need, you know, three other good drivers and, uh, you know, their junior drivers are still sort of uh, shaping up to make it to Formula One. So let's see, you know, if there is a mid-season driver change. But yes. uh, two more points in my notes that I've made. So, you know, by now, Mercedes, uh, just four races in, are almost twice the number of points as Red Bull Racing in the Constructors' Championship. So, you know, Mercedes have, uh, I think, 146 and uh, Red Bull are at 78 points, which, you know, in just four races uh, this season, right? And uh, I, I remember, you know, for, for my TV show, we were just pulling out some bites of Lewis uh, and Valtteri this weekend. And, you know, journalists were having fun with them, asking them, what are the weaknesses on the W11? And then both drivers just looked at each other. They smiled, they laughed, they smiled, yeah. and they said... We don't really see weaknesses, but definitely it can get better. And, you know, there was, there was laughter in the room and on the Zoom call that, you know, we had. So all in all, it's just proving, you know, the fact that can Mercedes win all races this season? And it seems really likely. Who knows? Well, they, they could just go one up on the old McLaren teams of the past and even Ferrari. And I mean, that's one question for later. That, that's one question that we can actually have a whole one-hour podcast on that. Our Mercedes actually, factually at least, the best team that we've seen in Formula 1. Again, that's a topic for later on. But, well, Kunal, what do you have to say to round this thing off in the end? We've had quite a few topic points, discussion points. What's your final verdict on this race? And what do you think we can expect from the 70th anniversary Grand Prix? That we 70th week? anniversary Grand Prix. It's hopefully as exciting as we've had, you know, uh, with uh, softer compound tires, maybe there's more in store for us. Who knows? You know, it's being assumed that a two-stopper is going to be the minimum requirement, but maybe we need a three-stopper and, you know, yeah. why not? But uh, all's not over yet, despite Mercedes's dominance, because, oh, you know, yeah, from, from, for example, even in the drivers' championships, from sixth to ninth place, you've got Albin, uh, Perez, Troll, and Ricardo, and they're just separated by six points. So, there is a lot to play for and, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll keep finding all these stories to keep uh, sharing with uh, our audiences, Samuel. Absolutely. There's a lot to speak about in the end. Again, just before we wrap this up, uh, just make sure that you tune in for a Formula E coverage as well because the season is starting on Wednesday. So we're having lots of that coming up on Pitch the Podium too, along with a few previews for the 78th Anniversary Grand Prix. And of course, the working in F1 uh, category that we have as well. Once again, Kunal, Always a pleasure to do these process debriefs with you. And if, for all you watching and all you listening, if you like this, please feel free to leave a like, subscribe to the channel, share this video with all your fellow Formula One enthusiasts. I know they're watching. I know they want to have a bit of the British GP as well. And yeah, don't forget to join us for the next ones as well. Thanks, Samuel. Cool. See you then, folks. See you for the 70th anniversary Grand Prix and hopefully you have a very good time and enjoy and cruise as much as Mercedes did throughout this race. Have a good one. Bye-bye.
If you look around, you'll see the world can be pretty smart. Okay, very smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart too. That's why we're reshaping online learning with our FlexPath format. You can set your own deadlines, take classes at your own pace, even leverage your previous experience to move faster. So when it comes to earning your bachelor's degree, you know what kind of choice to make. A smart one. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter.